Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, good morning, good morning. Can you guys hear me? There we are. You guys good? I'm going to get my computer up and running. Man, I'm so excited to be here this morning. So excited. I I wanted to show, first of all, um, God is doing something unique and special here. I feel like I say that every time I come, but I keep hearing the reports. And and I want to give you a picture. I, I know this is a big part of why. So your pastors are doing what they do best along with the team is they are loving people and they are building the church. But they're not just building this church. I'm grateful that your pastors have a heart for the church. And Mission Church, I want you to just let this sink in. You guys are building homes right now for people to live. Like, just let that sink in for a moment. Like, like people are going to have a house tonight. Like, we just need to, we go so fast and we move so quickly through things, but like your pastors are building a house. I just feel like there's something there. God is building this house. You guys are building other houses, loving people, and building the church. I'm grateful, grateful that I get to watch and be a part of not just the growth, but a move of the Spirit that's taking place in Mission Church. And so I, I love and honor your pastors. They're dear friends. I get to brag on them all the time. It never gets old. Uh, the one thing that I thought as I was driving in, I'm like, man, I always tell you guys like all these different things that I love about them. But the one, the word that came to mind this morning is integrity. That's so huge today that our life is actually integrated wholly. And your pastors exude that at every level. And so to Pastor Tyler, Pastor Rachel, and the team, if you guys are watching this morning, we're with you in spirit. We love you. We honor you. We celebrate you. Can we give a big hand to your pastors this morning? I'm grateful. Uh, our, our church has got to co- collab on our youth camp. And um, they came back changed. Like, like, no joke, no, no fluff. Like, they had an encounter with God. We're excited we get to partner this year as well. And uh, so we're doing life together as churches. Kids are doing life together. But I, I want to speak to you around this idea this morning. Actually, it was going to go in one direction, but I felt led to go in a different direction. I'm going to preach around this idea of imagining more relationally. Imagining more relationally. So would you bow your heads, pray with me for a moment. Father, we thank you for this time. Help me, God, to communicate your word clearly and quickly for your glory and for your name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to jump right in because there's a a famous guy by the name of, of Roy Regal. Now, now, Roy Regal, it was 1929, Cal Berkeley versus Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl, and somebody fumbled the ball. Some of you sports buffs, you may, may know this, and Roy did what he always does. He picked up the ball with great excitement, great enthusiasm, and began to run. And this guy is running. He's running for his life. He is living his best life in this moment, gets to the one-yard line, and gets tackled, but not by the other team. He gets tackled by his own team because he was running in the wrong direction, running to the wrong end zone. How many of you guys know it was a rough day for Roy? 
But aren't you thankful for those that stop us on the one-yard line? Like two of you are excited about that. That's, that's great. I believe God wants to stop us on the one-yard line today. See, something was special about Roy. In this moment, he said in the interview, he said, I was so excited, but I was so confused. Because so many things were happening at once. He said, in all the confusion and all the noise and everything, I lost my sense of direction. And, and I think if we're honest, we, we have all been there where we had thought one thing, but it turned out to be something else. Shout out to Trader Joe's, Wasabi Almonds. The, the, these were one of my favorites. I, I would go shopping at Trader Joe's. I bag my own groceries there. I throw the almonds on top, so I get in the car and start devouring the bag. And I'll never forget, my wife and I, this is the last time that I had wasabi almonds from Trader Joe's. I, I got in the car, opened up the bag, and I started to eat them, and I noticed something tasted differently. And I love wasabi. I'm the guy that on my sushi, I spread it. I don't put it in the soy sauce. I spread it over the top of the sushi. I like the burn. If my nose is not burning, if my sinuses are not getting clear, it's not a sushi night. And, uh, and so I told my wife, I said, man, something, something is different. So I kept eating them, kept eating them, kept eating them, kept eating them. And finally, I realized that actually I love them so much. I did my investigation. I knew something was wrong. I did my investigation. Come to find out, they changed the recipe. The most annoying thing is when you find something good and then they change the recipe. There's been so many protein bars that I actually love. And then they changed the chocolate, the cocoa. And you can tell instantly they, they're trying to save money. They're trying to cut corners. I'm not mad at that. I get that. But when you have something good and you change the recipe, it's just not, it's just not a good move. It's just not a good move. So what am I saying? I'm saying that I'm saying there's nothing worse than thinking you're winning when you're really losing. And I think, think all of us can feel this. It's one thing to, to laugh and joke about football and wasabi almonds, but relationally, there's nothing worse when you're hoping to win in your marriage. You're hoping to win in that, in that friendship. You're hoping to win in your small groups or church community. You're hoping to win in your family only to be disappointed. Only to be disappointed because either both of us or one of us has now started to run in the wrong direction. Now, now relationally, statistically right now, we are not doing very good. Like right now, currently as we speak, the average marriage lasts about eight years. You guys may have heard that 50% of marriages end in divorce, inside the church, outside of the church. This is depressing, but I'm getting to a good point, I promise. <laughs> Friendships only last about seven years, and the average relationship with the church, somebody attending a church, only lasts about seven years to this day. And so when we look at that, you start to think nobody gets into a relationship hoping to lose. Like, like we don't get into a friendship or a marriage or start dating hoping that it goes tragically wrong. Nobody shows up on their wedding day and says, I do, and then has the thought, I can't wait to sabotage this thing. I cannot wait for this thing to dismantle and, and crumble. Like nobody gets into a relationship with that. However, statistics say the probability of our relationships getting dysfunctional, it's highly probable. And so it's not very encouraging, but I'm here to tell you that even though statistically relationships, healthy relationships are not probable, I'm here to tell you that with God, all things are possible because, because God's design for relationships is not for them to be a burden, 
and a train wreck. When God made Eve, he didn't say, hey, Adam, I'm creating Eve to be such a burden to you. No, he's, he created Eve so that they could be a blessing to one another. See, God has designed relationships for greatness. God has designed relationships for, for blessing to be life-giving. The problem is, is that the world has changed the recipe. And so now we look across the board. It doesn't matter if, you're, uh, if, if it's a, a dating or a marriage relationship or a friendship or, or even family. It seems like our relationships have, have a shelf life now. And going the distance, it just doesn't seem that we're winning in a lot of ways. Relationships are quick to lose momentum. Can I just tell you, I don't crave those almonds anymore. They don't even sell those almonds anymore. As soon as they changed that recipe, their shelf life was quick, fast. John chapter 1, verse 2 says this, don't love the world's ways. This is message version. Don't love the world's goods. The love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all of its wanting, wanting, wanting is on its way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. You see, God has a recipe that fills. The world has a recipe that fades. And so, so I think uh, one of the greatest dysfunctions and distortions of why they fade so quickly is the way that we define love. Like we have an improper definition of love. The world says it's all about falling in love. And the premise of this is me first. Fill me. Like, I, like you have something to offer me. Oh, you make me feel good. Falling in love. I googled the definition of love because I just wanted to see what would pop up. Webster and a couple of the dictionaries said this right off the bat. An intense feeling of deep affection, great interest and pleasure in something, attraction based on sexual desire, strong affection felt by people that have a romantic relationship. I was like, this is the definition? Now, now there's nothing wrong with those things, but no wonder... Our relationships are not lasting because all of these things right here are subject to change. Like, let's take attraction for a moment. There's times now, I've been married 17 years, happily married, in love. Like, my wife, I love her deeply, and it's real. It's authentic. I'm not just like a pastor saying, I love my wife, and I really don't. I know. It, I really do. But can I just tell you, attraction can, can waver. When I'm on the couch, knocked out, mouth open, probably drooling a little bit. I don't think she, she looks at me and is like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I, I, think, I think in those moments she's saying, Lord, help me love this man. Because attraction can shift quickly. Feelings, you, you and I both know, they go up and down. And this just isn't for a marriage or a dating relationship. This, is, this, is, this could be for family, for friends. Sometimes we don't feel like dealing with people. Desires change. Now, all these things are great. I just don't think they're a great definition. Now, you may say, well, well, I take it a step further, Pastor Matt. I mean, I, I, you know, I love them for their mind and their wit, their financial status, right? Good personality potential. They got good potential. He's so funny. He's just so funny. But can I just tell you, there's a difference between a definition and a byproduct. What, what, what I would like to say is, is that... All these things are great, 
and they can be catalysts. But I think these things are byproducts. I think they make a terrible definition. When I first saw my wife, like attraction, attraction be a great catalyst. When I first saw my wife, I saw her in church, grew up in a Pentecostal church, so I figured she was a sign and a wonder. Uh, <laughs> pastor jokes, corny, stupid. But, but I'll never forget, she walked past us with her family, first time to our church. My pastor leaned over and said, you're going to marry that girl. And in my mind, I, first, my first thought was, she's out of my league. My second thought was, please, Lord, let that be a prophetic utterance. <laughs> and so... So she, she gets in, she is worshiping. Attraction can be a catalyst. I'm watching her worship God. I should be worshiping. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. She's over there worshiping, and I'm peeking like, she's hot. She loves Jesus. And so, so attraction can be a catalyst. It just doesn't make a good definition. Church is a great place to meet somebody, but it's not a guarantee. Everybody looks saved this morning. But, so there's a difference between definition and, and byproducts. So I, I want you to, to, to lean into this. The greater that we understand the real definition of love, the greater attraction, the deeper the feelings. But to define love as those things is a terrible place. See, the world would say that love is driven from a place of hunger and God's love is driven from a place of fullness. And there's a big difference. The world says, me first. The world says, I love you because of what you do for me. You make me feel good. You fill me. You know the five love languages? It's a book that's out. It talks about how we receive love. Well, the five love languages, it's interesting because as I coach couples, we talk about this a lot. And the, the five love languages are number one, there's like quality time. Uh, like maybe you feel love with quality time. Maybe there's um, acts of service, gifts, words of affirmation, physical touch. And, and what the five love languages, the premise is, is normal, normally we have a top two. Can I just say for those of you guys who are, are married, you should probably go back and revisit that every single year because your love language can change in a different season. But, but what, what I will say is this, is that a lot of times in my coaching with people, they know their top two, they know the other person's top two, but, but they're so focused on theirs. See, the idea is that you understand how you receive love and you understand the way that your spouse or the person that you're getting ready to marry would receive love. And this can work with your kids, this can work with you know, family and friends, whatever. But I find that we're still so focused on our two. Like, I know your two, but I'm still fighting for my two. When the whole premise is, no, you need to learn how to communicate and love the way the other person needs it. And so we're still battling at times because the world says that's how we, that's how love is defined. We're, we're hungry. Fill me. You, you, I need to have you. You make me feel a certain way. Some of you, uh, some of you older folks, you guys will know this. You complete me. Some of you younger people, you have no idea what I, what that even means. But, but if you know, you know. And, and, so, and so, so what I'm saying is this, is that in the relationship, rather than giving, you find yourself squeezing. And there's a big difference. See, a lot of times we don't get into a relationship and think, you know what? How can I serve you? How can I serve you today? 
A lot of times we don't approach relationships that way. We approach relationships with, what can I get from you? How are you making me feel? Are you on my list? Are you, are you, are you adding up to all of my little check boxes? But we don't ask, how, in the, how, do you, how, how can I serve you today? And so I think a lot of times in relationships, we're, we're squeezing. We're hoping to find comfort, affection, security, support, acceptance, approval, attention. And then both of us just end up squeezing. Both parties end up just squeezing. And then when there's nothing left, it's like, I don't really think you're that pretty anymore. You're not funny. You're annoying. Right? Like, surely you must be the wrong one. You see, the world says it's about falling in love. But God says... It's about walking in love. It's about walking in love. And there's a big difference. God says others first. What drives God's love is a place of fullness marked by intentionality, marked by choice, marked by service, marked by making decisions to love the other person that transcends feelings. That transcends attraction. It doesn't mean that those things are absent. In fact, if you're loving, choosing, serving, and acting... Can I just say, if some of those feelings have diminished or some of the attraction has, has kind of slipped away, God is able to resurrect those things. God is able to bring those things back to life. But, but we have to get a proper definition. Now, it's cool. I'm, not, I'm okay with people saying, I, I just fell in love. Like, I'm cool with that. I'm not going to correct anybody. Be like, no, you didn't. You didn't really fall. Maybe you fell. But I'm cool with the terminology, but I would much rather walk in love then simply fall in love because our problem isn't falling in love. Our problem is how do we keep things from falling apart? That's, that's the great debate. Alicia Keys, she says it the best, the great theologian. She says, I keep on falling in and out of love. Like sometimes I, I feel good. Sometimes I'm confused. Like loving you is... It's confusing. It's the world's ways. There's, there's, there's a hunger. Let me say it like this. The world says it's about falling in love. God says it's about walking in love. But can I just tell you that anybody can fall in love? It's just hard to, it's hard to walk in it. Like anybody can fall. Oh, I just love the fact that they love long walks on the ocean. Mexican, you like Mexican food? Oh, it's, it's a sign. Okay, like this, this is my favorite. Pastor Matt, he's wearing a cross. He's kind of Catholic. I think, it, I, I think it's, I think he's going to work out great. No shade on Catholics. I'm just saying like, you know, th th this perspective. I had a lady come in um, recently and she said, man, I met this guy on a dating site and he said he was a believer. He's like, loves his church. And so she asked him when she sat down, she said, hey, um, are you serving in a small group? And he looked at her like, huh? What do you mean? Like, I attend once in a while. This is, I'm super committed, right? And she's like, oh, no, this is not going to go well. And so, so I'm just saying, just because somebody has a fish on their license plate does not mean it's a sign. <laughs> hey, some of you younger people, again, you're like, a fish on the license plate? What in the world does that mean? And so it's so easy to fall. It's not as easy to walk. God's definition of love is, is really clear. It says love is patient, love is kind. Some of you, as soon as I get to patience, 
you're already thankful for the cross. You're like, Lord, just that first point. I struggle. Because, man, it's, it's tough. But I love when you look at this passage because everything God says is equivalent to everything we're prone to struggle in. Why does he say patience? Is because people can be annoying. Why does he say be kind? Because people are mean and dysfunctional. Some of us, we get into relationships, and remember, these apply across the board. Family, friends, marriage, single dating. But some of us in in our relationship, we bring a carry-on bag. Some of us bring an arsenal of luggage. And so the world says, listen, me first. But God says, no, it doesn't start with me first. I mean, look at the list. It goes on. It says, love does not envy. It, is, it is, does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. God, like, puts it in there. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Can I just say, look at the depth of this definition. This definition has weight to it. And this is, this is what I love about this, is that love never fails. We just fail to understand how to love. So a lot of times we think love fails or we think it doesn't work. Or we think, no, 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 we just don't understand. And we're all skewed by it. But one of the things I love about this passage is it points you to the outside. And at the very same time, it exposes the inside. And God's like, man, I'm trying to set you up for a place or from that you would love from a place of fullness. Because how we approach the world says, it's about you. God says, no, it's about others. And how we approach our relationships, if we're full or empty, it it just changes the game. Let me give you a picture. So I have a, uh, can you guys change the slide for me? It's not working. So I have, I have an orange tree in my backyard. There we go. I have an orange tree in my backyard. And it's, it's beautiful. I, I, I love my little orange tree. But, but can I just tell you, your appetite will determine your approach to this tree. It will definitely determine your, your approach. Like if I brought you to my house and you were full, you just say breakfast, and I showed you this beautiful orange tree, you might look and say, hey, Pastor Matt, let me help you clip some of the branches. Let's, let's, let's make sure that we cut off some of the dead leaves. You may even take, you know, a, a little orange, take a little fresh glass of orange juice, just, just one glass because you, know, you want to you wanna taste it. It looks so beautiful and it's good and it, it's healthy. You can actually appreciate the tree for what it was designed to be. But if you're starving, you're going to look at this tree in a totally different way. You're going to be like, Pastor Matt, I love the tree. I'm attracted to this tree. But can I tell you, if you're starving, you're going to ravage the poor thing. You're going to break branches. You're going to start tearing up. You know, you're going to grab as many as you can. You're going to be squeezing the mess out of every single orange. You're going to take stuff that you don't even really need, but you're scared that you might not have some leftovers, so you're going to take more. And you're just going to try to do everything to get full. I'm telling you, how you approach relationships from a place of fullness or a place of emptiness, it changes the whole game. My wife hates the fact that I love to snack because she'll buy all the snacks for the kids for school. And rather than eating the meal, a meal, I'll just devour the chips. 
I'll just tear up all the snacks. And she would always tell me, like, why don't you just, just let me give you a meal? But when you're operating from a place of emptiness, your relationships will become commodities. You'll always ask, what can you do for me, not what can I do for you? See, fullness says, how can I serve? Emptiness says, what can I take? And so, so let, me, let, me just, let me just ask you this question. Are you squeezing people today? Maybe you're in a position where you feel squeezed. I think sometimes we expect people to fill areas that only God can, and so we squeeze the life out of each other, trying to get somebody to fulfill something in our life that only God can do. People make terrible gods. We make terrible gods. And so sometimes we're just squeezing each other, and what we really need is Christ at the center. We need the fullness of all that he has for us. And it breaks my heart because behind all these terrible statistics lies a beautiful door. A door of blessing, a door of life, a door of healing, a door of hope, of restoration, a door, a door of fullness. But, but here's the problem. We're using many times the wrong key. We're trying to open up the door with the key of self. And God is saying, no, you need to open it with the key of serve. It's different. So, so even as I'm saying this, some of you guys right now are thinking, all right, how do I live patiently? Like, you don't know my family. You don't know my husband. You just don't understand. And I will tell you, you're absolutely right. I probably don't understand. But I'm so grateful that Jesus speaks right into the middle of this tension. He speaks right into the middle of this pain so that our relationships can actually go the distance. And I think sometimes it's so simple. I think it's so simple that we blow right past it. So what I would tell you this is, is healthy relationships. Is there more for your relationships? Absolutely. Can I tell you it's possible and it's accessible. It's available. And Jesus says it this way. He says it best. He says, so now I'm giving you a new command, love each other. Wow. Love each other. Now you're even more confused. You're like, okay, I get it. So I'm going to go home, try really, really hard to be patient. Yep. Going to try not to be envious, keep no records of wrongs. Some of you are so polished. Because you're, you're, you go home and you get in those conversations. You're like, I'm good. No records of wrongs. But you're just stacking them. And in that proper time, you got a Rolodex. You just bust that little bad boy out old school style like, oh, yeah, boom, 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 boom. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try really, really hard to do this and try, try, try. And then you're going to figure out he's still crazy. I still can't stand her. My family still lost their mind. I'm just tired. There's so many relationships today that are just tired. And God wants to breathe life. But you're like, man, this is it. No, no, no. This, this, is, this is the first part of the passage. Let me give you the key. The key is this. He says, just as I have loved you. That's the key. Not just command, go and love. How do you command love? You really can't. Love is simply a response to loveliness. And Jesus is saying, if you can see the loveliness of the way that I've loved you, you are going to totally be able to love other people. John chapter 15, verse 13, no greater love 
is this than one would lay down his life or his friend. This is the difference, ladies and gentlemen, between behavior modification and gospel heart transformation. This is the difference, is the just as. All of us, we want to go home and try really, really hard, try to be patient, try to be kind, try to last two weeks. But if you can see, if you can see people through a God filter of just as he has loved you, you should go and love one another. It's going to change the game. It changes the whole paradigm. See, some of us are stuck because we never had a model. We, we, we never had a model of love. We don't, we don't even know what a real relationship is supposed to look like. We've, we've watched sitcoms. We've watched reality TV. We've grown up on, on certain shows that have kind of shaped us. The culture has kind of shaped us. Many of us have not had a good model. And even some of us, we've watched our parents stick it out, but they hated each other. It's like, yeah, you, you, you made it, but there's no life. I don't even know if I want that. Some of us have had terrible models. And then you hear Jesus saying, love people around you, listen to them, show concern for them, you know, comfort them, meet their needs, create some space for them, walk in love. And you're like, I know it's right. But are you known for that? That's the question. A lot of times we know, but are we known to walk in love just as he has loved us. Are we known for that? Because see, when we're empty, we're going to want something from them. And so what do we have to do? We have to get around people we can squeeze from. After we squeeze, we move on to the next. After we squeeze everything out of them, we move on to the next. And that's why people that get on your nerves, people that annoy you, people that you can't stand, people that can't really add any value to you, it's really hard for you to be with them and around them because they have nothing to offer you. And here's the deal. If you can start to see they are exactly who you are before God apart from Christ, resourceless, nothing to offer, you will so easily be able to put yourself in their shoes. I could look at a homeless man as I'm leaving Mission Church, and rather than just being like, I have have nothing I can identify with that guy they're like, we have nothing in common. Oh, no, no, we have something very much in common, that you are exactly who I am before God apart from Christ, resourceless. If it wasn't for the cross, if it wasn't for what he did, we are in the same, the, the, the cross has leveled the playing field. And so we're able to put ourselves in other people's shoes so much better when we can see this beautiful reality. Because if we don't, we're just going to take from people. We're going to squeeze from people. I went to a conference, pastor's conference. And you just know who's working the room. Do you know what I mean? This happens at pastor's conference. I'm just keeping it 100 with you. People walk around, you just know who's like, I want to try to get around that person. I'm all about networking. I'm not about squeezing. And so, so you know, people are working around, trying to get around some of the popular people, whatever the case is. And and I remember this, this one couple talking to me and my wife. And I knew they just were not interested. You know, when you're talking to somebody, they're like, And in my mind, I'm like, oh, we ain't got no juice, huh? Nothing, nothing to squeeze. Until they saw what table we sat at. And then after lunch, it was a little bit different of a story than some of the people that we're around. Oh, hey, how are you, man? We have to connect. We have to get together. And in my mind, I'm like, you're hungry. You're starving. And my heart breaks. You know why it breaks? It breaks because I'm, in my mind, I'm like, people aren't going to want to be around you. 
Because all you're doing is wanting to squeeze. And so, so here, here's the reality is this, is that before we can make a mark of love, we have to first be marked by it. So and some of us, some of us, we, we've lost sight of this. Some of us, you've been in church for a long time and you're in a little bit of a deficit. Like you, you've, you've stopped looking to the fullness of his love and you started squeezing again from other people and you're disappointed again. Like life is kind of back in that place of stuck. You're, you're squeezing, but there, there's nothing left, and it's led to great disappointment. Can I just tell you, I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I pray, and this is my prayer for you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, that he, that he Love that may have the power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the measure of fullness. His love, so wide, so vast, but so tangible, so personal, so real. And some of us are so empty because we either have lost sight of that love or we've yet to encounter that love in such a way. Can I tell you, when you're operating from a place of fullness, it changes everything. The fullness of God. But, but you, you notice how this is playing out. He's talking about character inside, not just something you get on the outside. He wants you to be filled with a fullness. You have to first be marked by love, if you're going to make a mark of love. It'll change the way you date. If I can invite the worship team up, that'd be great. It'll change the way you date. It'll change the way you see the tree. Like some of you right now, you're getting ready to engage in a new relationship. Can I tell you, if you're starting from a place of emptiness, it's not going to go well. You want to enter that spot from a place of fullness. The world says, me first. God says others first, but first you have to receive first his love. We love, ladies and gentlemen, because he first loved us. And now I'm just going to let God speak for a moment for himself. I know it was kind of a risk on this message because it's more of a pastoral message, but I know it's for somebody today. See, some of you have yet to encounter the love of God. You've been in church your whole life. You can preach about it. You know it. But you've yet to encounter him and not really known for it. Some of you, for the very first time, some of you guys are brand new. And you've never encountered the love of God. You've had a terrible model. It's hard for you to imagine God loving you. So let me just let God speak for himself for a moment. Can I just tell you that God prioritizes you? that you're a priority. Can I tell you, to be prioritized makes all the difference in the world. Makes you feel cared for. Makes you feel valued. Makes you feel seen. God prioritizes you. You say, how do do we know what love is? How, How do we know what that is? Well, he says it this way. That way. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and for our sisters. Can, can I just tell you how powerful this is? Is that to the, 
he's saying this, to the degree you understand my love for you is the degree and the capacity that you're going to be able to love others with. So, so if you've received that very small, you're going to be able to give very small. But he said, but if you can see that he laid his life down, stepped out of heaven, made you a priority, died a brutal death that, can I just tell you, wasn't attractive, didn't feel good, wasn't sexual in nature, just intentionality, choice, commitment, covenant, promise. You matter to him. When you were lost, he did this. When I was lost, he made us a priority. Second thing is that God pursues you. God pursues you. Ladies, I think this is a little bit easier for you to receive than us guys. Guys get a little weird. God's pursuing me. No, I really need to be pursued. No, no, no. Let me just tell you, man. God's pursuit will bring you to your knees. It'll humble you. It'll transform you. His love, his grace. This is special to me because I ran for a long time. I, I, I grew up with my mom bringing me to church. I knew. And God was just pursuing me. I remember I was sitting in the back of a church of like 3,000 people in St. Louis, Missouri on vacation. My mom invited me to church. I reluctantly went. And the guy preaching calls me out from the back. And he says, young man. And I'm terrified and angry at the same time. I'm like, don't put me on blast like this. I told you, mom. That's why I don't want to come to church. And he says, young man, two weeks ago that bullet was meant for you. God has spared your life. There's no more running from God. And then went to preaching again. Two weeks ago, two weeks before that, I was at a nightclub in Fremont. The whole place gets shot up. I know you may not even want to listen to me preach anymore after this. The whole place gets shot up. The guy next to me gets shot. I carry him to the ambulance. God's pursuing you. He, he's, he's, he says it this way. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's married to the backslider, Jeremiah chapter 3 says. He said, I will take you. One, I will bring you to Zion and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So take heed to his voice. I was at Big O Tires a couple weeks ago. I, I, I got two flats. Two flats. Who gets two flats and so finally the first flat I just let go for a long time and then I, I finally took my car to Big O Tires I was debating because I didn't want to spend a bunch of money I was frustrated I walk into the place I'm getting ready to pay and the, the girl looks at me she comes in and she says hey I know you I said you do she said you're a pastor I was like I'm not going to take an offering church jokes she said, she said, I watch you every week online. And then she just broke. Her coworkers sitting there like, what is going on? She just breaks. She's like, I've been, I'm just struggling. She's just going through it. I said, listen, God is pursuing you. But you got to answer him because I can't pay $700 every time. Like, he's trying to get your attention. But can I just tell you, God's saying she's worth it. Some of you guys need to hear that. You think you're just lost in oblivion. God's way up there. No, he's pursuing you. Can I just remind you today that you are his prized possession? Again, guys, it gets a little weird. You're like, I don't know. I don't really know if I want to be anybody's prized possession. 
what is it like to be God's prized possession? There's security, there's confidence, there's a healthy identity. There's a richness, there's a vastness. There was a, a guy who had a sailboat, a little kid, he built this sailboat and he let it go down the river and it went down the river so quick he lost it. He was walking downtown and he saw it in the shop of a, uh, the, in the window of a shop downtown. And he runs in, he says, sir, that's my boat. The guy's like, really? He's like, yeah, it has my initials on the bottom of it. He says, can I have it back? The guy said, yeah, absolutely. 50 cents. He's like, but that's my boat. So this little kid back in the day went and mowed lawns, did whatever he could do, came back with the 50 cents and purchased the boat. He said, man, not only did I create you, not only did I make you, but I bought you back. You are my prize possession. You know, my two biggest struggles, fear, failure, and rejection. All my issues stem from those places. And in the moments where I'm not sure, I come back and remind myself that I'm your prize. The God, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession. Are you getting the picture? Can I switch gears just one more time? God will correct you. God will correct you. Like when you're stepping on the one yard line in the wrong direction, he's going to time out. But, but he, he corrects those he loves. Corrects those he loves. He wants to stop you like, I don't want you to do that. No, no, no. I'm for you. Yeah. You've got to let God correct you. Yeah. Let me leave you one last one as God restores. God restores you. Some of you right now, like, I made a mess out of everything. My relationships are disastrous. Not just my dating, not just my marriage, my family, everything. Can I just tell you, he is so good at restoration. Yeah. If you're on the one-yard line about to cross into the other person's goal, everything is a train wreck. Can I just tell you, the game is not lost. Not with him. Like he is the one who restores all things. I love what it says here. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, and who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Can I just tell you that everything that has been getting in the way, everything that has been hindering you, every mess that you've made, God says, I can restore it. And I can make something beautiful out of it. But let me leave you with a story and I'm done. Some of us, we are so hungry. And God is inviting us to a place of fullness. There was a man by the name of Androgenes when Alexander the Great had just conquered the known world. Alexander the Great, he really wanted the approval of this one man by the name of Androgenes. And he just got done conquering the world, literally, paraded into Corinth. Everybody's worshiping, bowing, celebrating him. And, and in the midst of all of the crowd, he's, he's not content. He looks at one of his guys, says, where's Androgenes? Like, he's not here? Where's he at? And the servant said, you promise you won't kill the servant? He's sunbathing sunbathing i just conquered the known world so we get a team of people they go up to androgyny's house sure enough he's on his little lounge chair maybe a brick stone i don't know what it looked like back in the day but but he's he's on this chair and alexander the great comes on top of it and says androgyny's true story i just conquered the known world is there anything i can do for you you know what androgyny said 
He said, yeah, you can get out of my light. You can get out of my light. How liberating when you don't need any, you don't need anything from the guy who has everything. When there's a place of fullness, when that selfishness creeps in, you could stand up in the name of Jesus and say, get out of my light. When you're starting to get irritated and impatient and, and that pride is starting to kick in, you can stop in the name of Jesus and say, oh, no, 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 enemy, I don't need anything. I'm operating from a place of fullness. Get out of my light. Come on, as those things begin to creep in, you can say every day, 10 times, 1,000 times a day, get out of my light, get out of my light, get out of my light. Because the fullness of God is all that I need so that I can love and serve the way that he's called me to. Will you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you. No more eclipses. No more things getting in the way of our life from loving and serving the way that you've called us to in our marriages, Lord, in our purity, in our families, in our friendships, God. Lord, I thank you that Mission Church, I just declare, will break all of those statistics. Lord, in the name of Jesus, all of those statistics will be eradicated in this church. And listen, if you're here today, can I just tell you the ultimate, most beautiful thing is that if you are not walking with Jesus, if you've never received him as your savior or you have been away and you're telling the enemy today, get out of my light. And maybe you need to rededicate your life today. I wanna pray just a simple prayer with you. We're gonna all pray out loud together. But some of you guys are longing for that love. There's, there's emptiness. Some of you guys have lost sight of it. Others of you have never received it. But can I tell you, when that guy called out my name that day and I surrendered my life to Jesus, it was that day that everything changed for me. And you know how it changed? I prayed a simple prayer with an elderly woman in the back of the church. And my, my life totally changed. So if that's you today, you need to surrender your life to Jesus or rededicate your life. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I ask that you would forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for raising again from the dead. On the third day, I confess you as my Lord. I thank you that you are my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the messes I've made. I receive your love today, that I am a priority to you, a prized possession, that you love me, that you're pursuing me. God, I invite you to correct me. And Lord, would you restore me? redeem everything the enemy has stolen and the messes I've made in Jesus name and everybody said amen come on can we give a big hand listen if you if you prayed that prayer I'm gonna ask you to do something very bold I'm gonna count to three and on the count of three if you prayed that prayer and it was like man pastor Matt that was for me today I just want to see your hand just so I can celebrate you just so we know who you are on the count of three one don't be afraid. Two, three. Just shoot up your hand if you said, man, I prayed that prayer today. Come on, can we thank God for the hands that are raised today? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. 
If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you.